0: Speaking of being blessed, I, I, I trust that we all had a good Thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Everybody, everybody, a little sleepy from being full this morning. But I, I love Thanksgiving. I, I love that scene that Derek was talking about about sitting around a table and just just smiling. And I hope you had that opportunity this week to be with family or friends and just to be at that Thanksgiving table and to recognize how blessed you are. Yeah, I think normally when we get to that point. One of the great blessings that we, um, that we come to appreciate are the, are the people sitting around that table and what they mean to us. Now we can count our material blessings and we can count all the money we have and all the things we have, but in the long run what makes life really meaningful are, are the people in our life. And so we love that Thanksgiving table and so often the people we love are right there around us. In our family, we have a tradition every once in a while is we'll we'll stop at that table and and we'll count our blessings and everybody will mention their blessings. But my favorite way for us to do it is when we, we go around the table and let each person express why they're thankful to that person. And so we'll go from family member to family member just thanking God for them. You say, well, I'm glad we don't have that tradition in our family. That kind of stuff makes me uncomfortable. Well, my children roll their eyes when we do that. I promise you they do. But it is a very special time. Now, what would you think if if we were doing that and and going around the table and and we skipped one of our family members and just act like they weren't there? At, At a minimum, it would be rude. At a maximum, it would be certainly very hurtful that there was somebody at the table that we didn't say, you know what, thank God for you, what you mean in our life. That's spiritually and theologically, I'm afraid when it comes to thanksgiving, often that's the scene with us and God. We're blessed to sit around a table with God and, and to give him thanks. But so often, I think we, live at, we leave out part of what we commonly call the Godhead. Maybe we're really thankful for the Father, we're really thankful for Jesus, we're really thankful for the, the Spirit, but most of us may skip somebody— Today we dive into some deep, challenging waters today. We talk about the Trinity. You know, to Trin- the word Trinity is not a biblical word. You can't find it in the Bible. But it's certainly a very biblical idea that the, there is this triune God who's, who's three and yet he is one. Well, we, we see it right from the very beginning of time when in the creation story. God is creating man and God says, let us make man in our own image. And we're a little bit struck by that word, who is the us? Where in Scripture, it's more and more revealed. There are passages where we see all three of the Godhead. Look, look at this passage. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bolithia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, there's you got God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, there you have the Holy Spirit, to the obedience, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, there's the Son, and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's there. And then we see it vividly in that scene where Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And we hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Now let's be honest as we talk about this this morning. The, the, the Trinity is a theological mystery. I mean, who can really explain it? Does God have some kind of strange arithmetic or math in heaven where one plus one plus one equals one? I mean, how do you put this thing together? I've heard every kind of explanations from it's like roll age, two mints in one, you know, or just like marriage, yes, just two separate entities, but you're so united we say it's one. I was reading a book that uh, Andy Johnson gave me called uh, Enjoying the Trinity, and, and here's a couple of the stabs they took at the idea You've probably heard some people compare the Trinity to to H2O. It can have three forms of water, and it can have steam, or it can be ice. And this is the way this book describes it. The triune God is like H2O. The Father was all icy until He warmed up and became the watery Son, who then vaporizes and becomes the steaming spirit when you crank up the heat. Was that the way it is? Or how about this, this explanation? This is even sillier. God used to feel rather fatherly in the Old Testament. And then he tried adopting a sunny disposition. I hope we're thankful for that. And his since decided to be more spiritual. Well, none of those stabs quite get it. Because it is quite a mystery that we can have one God and yet there are three. That the three are in one. That there's such unity between the three that we can talk about them as if they're one. And I can't explain that. And I think maybe sometimes we've bogged down so much in that that we've missed the point of the Trinity. So if you're taking notes, finish the sentence we started a few moments ago. The Trinity is a theological mystery, here we go, that equips us for practical mastery of the Christian life. What are you saying, buddy? Oh yeah, God. don't get so hyped up on trying to explain God. What kind of God would it be if you and I could actually explain him? So don't get so hyped up trying to explain this. It's trying to understand this. Because this mystery may very well be the key to our mastery of walking with God. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you don't give thanks for all three, if you don't recognize all three at the table, you are missing out on something that will guide you and bless you and actually change your life. You can only understand and live out God in your life when all three are involved. So here's just a preview of what we're going to do this morning. First of all, we're going to talk about how the Trinity shapes our view of God. Second, we're going to talk about how the Trinity shapes our view and our living out of the Christian life. First of all, it shapes our view of God. I mean, the big question is, who is God? What is God like? Well, the Trinity actually, as mysterious as it is, reveals a lot to us about God. Number one, God is relational. God is relational. God's not just this mysterious concept or idea. God lives in relationship as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The point of the Trinity is that God lives in community, in perfect love and harmony that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He lives in relationships. It is completely satisfying. Now, I've made a mistake that many preachers make often in doing a wedding ceremony. Where you talk about creation and how God created the earth and what a beautiful place it was. And then we almost imply often, and yet God was lonely. And so God needed someone to share himself with. And so God created man and woman. Guys, that's not an accurate picture. God was not lonely. There was no loneliness between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, did God want to share himself in relationship with you and I? Absolutely, What God wanted to do and what God is doing is he's inviting us into a place of perfect love and harmony in the community of the Trinity. So we, we learn this about God. God's not just the universe like pantheism would say. God's not just a thing or a concept or an idea. God is relational. He exists in relationship and he shares relationship. No wonder that the two greatest commands are to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It is reflection of the character of God. So God invites us into the relationship of the Trinity. Second, here's the next principle. God has moved closer and closer to us. Not only does God exist in relationship, but He wants to be with us. You can divide all of history with God into three phases God the Father, God above, God the Son, God among us, God the Spirit, God within us. Do you see the incredible and beautiful movement of God closer? and closer to us. That's why we love the Christmas season because we celebrate a God that was so crazy in love with us that he moved in our neighborhood. And what I say to you guys is don't stop with the Christmas story because that's not the best news. The best news is not that he moved among us. The best news is that he moved within us. So number three here, God is relational. God has moved closer and closer to us. God has revealed himself to us. He's a God who wants us to know him. Leonard Allen, head of the Bible department, at Lipscomb University, says, the Trinity is shorthand for everything we know about God. Let's just think about a few things about, about God. Just, And this is, this is pretty short and not simply, not certainly… Um, going to cover all the ground. But let's think about God the Father. We learn through God the Father about the authority of God. That God is in charge. That God seeks obedience. We learn about the sovereignty of God. That God's will will absolutely be done. He has got authority and he's also sovereign. He is over everything. And then with the Son, oh Aren't we thankful for the sun. We find out that God is love. We love that definition in 1 John, that God is love. How do we know to define him that way? Because we saw him. and That's the way he lived. He was love. And with the Son, we also see God is an example. The Son comes to this world, and the, and the Son says, Okay, guys, you want to know how to live. Let me show you concretely exactly how to live this life out. And then when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we find out that God is close. How close? So close. He's right with us. Crazy. And that God is empowering. That God's not just told us to live this life. God has empowered us to live this life. Now that's a rather small list of the descriptions of the Trinity and what they provide. But I think that's enough to teach you and I this. If you miss out on any one of them, you've missed out on something really big. You you miss out on the complete picture of God. Many of us grew up, I know I did anyway, with a a very great appreciation of God as being authoritative and sovereign, that that He was the Father and and that uh, what He said He meant, and that if you didn't do it, you were in trouble. And I think about how empty my life would be today or how far I would be from God if I just stopped with what many of us call that Old Testament view of God. And I know that's not fair because grace is found in the Old Testament too. But many of us, that's the way we saw it. And then we got introduced to the sun. And the Son helped define God for us. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. The Bible says he's the exact representation of God. And so we gravitated toward this picture of the sun because we saw that God loves sinners. We saw that he didn't expect the people around him to be perfect. In fact, he loved them and he accepted them to his table with their imperfections. And our picture of God was broadened. It's not that the Father was different than this, but the Son began to reveal aspects of God's personality and and God's actions. When I get confused about God the Father, I know the place I always can look to get clear definition is to God the Son. Because he is absolutely the best picture we have of God. And if your picture of God ever begins to contradict the Son, you know you got the wrong picture. But then I think, how many of us have discovered God the Father and God the Son, and yet we've never discovered the Holy Spirit? We don't even really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, to many of us, is like that weird uncle that shows up to Thanksgiving meal every once in a while and makes us all uncomfortable because he does embarrassing things. Anybody have that person in your family? And sometimes in the family of God, it's almost like the Holy Spirit's that. And and I wonder, many of you, maybe you grew up with a great appreciation of the Son, and then you discovered the sovereignty of the Father. Or you grew up with a great appreciation of the Father and his authority and you found the loving example of the Son. I think for many of us, maybe we've missed out on the Holy Spirit. And and, and I wonder how complete is our picture of God and not just of God, but of the Christian life when we don't embrace the Spirit's role. Not like what one friend says to me. He says, buddy, most every Christian you can label is 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 gravitating toward one of those god pictures and and, and my friend says i'm a father man i just i just man i just that's that's good he said buddy what are you he said buddy i i can guess what you are you're a jesus man he's right man I, i i just i just quickly gravitate toward jesus i mean that that's the one i relate to that and then we all know there are people that are, that are more spirit people. You know, that's the, in every other sentence they say, they mention the Holy Spirit. So the part of the truth is we all individually gravitate toward one. And here's the, the danger, is because we gravitate toward one, do we miss out on the complete picture? So is this morning you think, well, I gravitate in this direction. That's the purpose of the Trinity, It's like a a shorthand explanation of the character of God. You need it all. And while we're just being real honest here, most churches gravitate toward one. When you go to more of a high church tradition, that's very much into art and beauty, normally it's a church that gravitates more toward the Father. A, A church that is probably more into the sovereignty of god and that god controls everything and may even come to a point where they don't believe that you have much choice in what happens in your life most of those churches elevate the father it seems most evangelical churches who believe you do have a choice and, and believe almost everything's about salvation are you saved or you're not saved gravitate toward the son don't they and then most charismatic or Pentecostal churches, we see gravitate more toward the Spirit. And you can almost, you can almost label the denominations of the churches by what they gravitate toward. Now here, here's the point of our message today. Don't get thrown off by that. The point of our message today is we've got to be thankful for all three. And that brings us to how it impacts our view of the Christian life. Uh, Look at this point with me. How does it shape our view of the Christian life? This is a quotation by a man I quoted a few moments ago, Leonard Allen. Uh, I heard this lesson, I heard this point actually about 10 years ago, and I wrote it down, it just hit me this week. Here's what the Christian life should look like. Following the risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Say that with me. Following the risen Christ... In the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. That's an incredible sentence. Let's look at each line. Following the risen Christ. Here's what Jesus does for us. He gives us something visible. When you you wonder, what is God like? All you've got to do is open the pages of the gospel and you can see exactly what he's like. What makes God mad? What makes God cry? What makes God happy? Look at Jesus. He's visible. And he's concrete. You want to know the way you should live and what your life should look like? What is the goal? The goal is for your life to look like, and my life, to look like Jesus. Now, here's what I want to show you of each one of these statements. Each one of these statements guards us against some dangerous things that often happen. Jesus guards us against a false view of God. Again, if your view of God ever begins to contradict Jesus, if your view of the way you treat people can't be put in the frame of the way Jesus treated people, you have chosen a wrong path. I remember an older man saying to me once, what he did with his theology, is he always filtered it through the character of Jesus and as his theology was not matching Jesus, he knew he needed to restudy his Bible. What else? This picture of Jesus, it guards us against mysticism. The idea that, that it's just this mystical feeling of Christianity that is not concrete. And no, no, it's concrete. It's pretty evident what it looks like. It guards us against emotionalism. Some of us, you know, we get on this spiritual roller coaster. You know, you know. Oh, I feel so close to God today, and things are just great, and I'm so full of the Spirit. And tomorrow, you know, oh, I just, uh, I don't know where God is. I don't know what to do. No, oh, yes, you do. You know exactly what to do, whether you feel it or not. Go be like Jesus. He guards us against that. He guards us against elitism. Sometimes many of us discover a spiritual gift or discover something about God, and we start thinking that we're better than other people. My friends, as long as you and I compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, you will never feel like you're better than anybody else. And so the example of Jesus that we know that's who we're following, that's who we're imitating, guards us against lots lots of bad paths. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today, guys. It's, it's, it's a healthy view of the Trinity that keeps us on track spiritually. Now, how does the, um, the power of the Holy Spirit ha- help us? Well, the Holy Spirit lets us know that God is close and God is empowering. Let me tell you some things it guards us against. It guards us against what I call moralism. What's that? Moralism is, is this idea is that I can be better and better if I try harder and harder. You got me there? You ever tried to live that way? I want to do better. I want to be more like Jesus. I got to be more like Jesus. So I'm going to leave this Sunday. Buddy convicted me this Sunday. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out this week and I'm just going to try harder and harder. And I'm, the Holy Spirit says you can't do that. There's no way you can do it on your own. It guards you against legalism. What's legalism? Legalism is the view that you can keep the commandments of God well enough on your own to earn the mercy and grace of God. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. Jesus says, you will not make it without me in you. What else does the Holy Spirit guard us against? The Holy Spirit guards us against rationalism, that the Christian faith is just about learning more and more and more. Where Jesus may guard us against emotionalism, the Holy Spirit guards us against this view that is simply a rational, logical thought process. And then especially it guards us against deism what's deism deism is the view that god created the world spun it into existence and then god just left it to go on its own now i would doubt that we have any deist in this audience today but i would guess many of us grew up almost what i would call biblical deist well you say, what's that buddy god created the world he sent jesus to save us he handed us the bible God's gone back to heaven, and he's not involved. He threw us the book of rules and said, do your best to keep them. And that's what we're supposed to do. My friends, it's so much better than that. I hope that's not your view of Christianity. Oh, don't don't take me wrong. The Bible is so critical. The Bible reveals all of this to us. But you have more than just the words on the pages to help you live out this Christian life. You have a power within you through the Holy Spirit. Because you, you remember that verse we looked at in First Peter at the beginning? What was the work of the Holy Spirit? It's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. What does that, that religious fancy word sanctify mean? It simply means it's the Holy Spirit's job to make you become more and more like Jesus. Here's the discouraging part is if you decide it's your job to make yourself more like Jesus. Oh, you must cooperate with the Holy Spirit, absolutely, and walk in step with the Holy Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit that keeps you from thinking, okay, God just gave me the Bible, and I'm on my own, and He's going to show up one day, and He's going to bring me to account. I hope I make it. Oh, my goodness, guys, that's, that's, that's so dangerous. And then, to the glory of God the Father. Oh, I love this one. What does this guard us against? This guards us against humanism. What is humanism? It's the belief that I am the center of the universe. That it's all about me. Even Christianity, if we're not careful, we decide this thing is not to the glory of God. All this is about me, one Christian famous christian writer i love his works but he, he writes something that i've become more and more uncomfortable with he said if god had a refrigerator your picture would be on it now i understand what he's trying to say is that god loves you and he's focused on you but the idea that comes to me from that almost is i'm the center of the universe no no my friends god is the center And when we recognize that our life is to be lived following Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God, then it's not about me. My motivation is not just, okay, if if, if I live the Christian life, my life will be better, which it will be. Or I will be saved, which you will be. Or I'm living the Christian life because I'll go to heaven, which you will. That's not the highest motivation. The highest motivation is that I live this out to the very glory of God. This guards us from idolatry. Because too often, if we're not careful, we read through the Bible and we pick and choose the parts we like and that we don't like, and we make God over in our own image. And God, the sovereign Father, who rules and reigns over everything guards us against that, and he guards us against spiritual manipulation. Sometimes we decide it's almost formulaic. If I just pray the right prayer with the right words in the right way, then God's got to do what I ask him to do. I've known people like that. And if God didn't do what they asked him to do, it's because they didn't pray the right prayer with enough faith or with the right words. I mean, it becomes very formulaic. And and so I begin, I begin almost to be in charge. I can manipulate God for him to do what I want him to do. That's why I've got to have this picture of God, the sovereign father. who guess why You can't manipulate You may not always like what he chooses to do or not do. But you've got to recognize that he's in charge. And that you are here to live your life to his glory. So, what's the Christian life look like? It's following the risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Look what we've been invited to. Look at this passage, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Through this, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. I love that line, participate in the divine nature. What happens in the Christian life is that we have been called to participate. Some translations say partake. We share in the divine nature. We are part of this Holy community that we call the Trinity. Now, let me say this. To enjoy this, you've got to recognize this. For many of us, we probably have grown up in some way, I think all of us probably, in some deficiency in our appreciation of some part of the Trinity. Some of us, man, we're just always thank you for Jesus, thank you, thank you for the Father, thank you for the Spirit. What I'm saying is if you want your spiritual life to stay on track and be pleasing to God, you've got to be thankful for all three. And and, and you've got to see that what you and I have been invited to is to participate in the divine nature. It's amazing. It's amazing. And here's what I want to say. I don't want to miss out on any of it. Not because of my fear. but Because God's invited you to the whole deal. So be thankful for all three. I love Hebrews 13 verse 5. Where the Bible says, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the English translation. The Greek translation is really bad English because it's not a double negative, it's a triple negative. But Hebrews 13.5 literally says, I will never, never, never leave you nor forsake you. Don't you love that? Let me make that real for us as we close out today. God, I feel so weak. Lord, I blow it so much. Lord, I want to live for you, but I, I, I come up empty sometimes. Lord, I fail you. Please, please, God, don't leave me. And God the Father steps up and he says, buddy, I will never leave you. I, first, I created you. And God the Son steps up and says, Buddy, I will never leave you. I've proven it. I died for you. And God the Holy Spirit steps up and says, Buddy, I will never leave you. I live in you. I will never, never, never leave you. What an amazing promise. So today, while we're in the spirit of thanksgiving we're going to spend some time right now just praising God. If you need to respond today, this would be the time to come to the front row. If you need the prayers of this church before you get out of here, if you're ready to be baptized in the name of what? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, today's the day for you to do that. But more than anything, over these next few moments as we sing these songs, I invite you just to overflow in praise, not just to God the Father, not just to the Son, not just to the Spirit, but give thanks for all three. Let's stand together and praise Him.